Beverly Presents, the Pure Cinema Podcast, special calendar edition, December. Yes, our first calendar episode where we're dealing with the programming for the new Beverly Cinema, our new partner. We have a guest with us joining to talk about the calendar, and uh, it's Mr. Phil Blankenship. Hi, Brian. Hi, Elric. This is Phil Blankenship, the social media manager over at the New Beverly. I'm so excited to have the Pure Cinema podcast on our team. I think it's going to be a perfect partnership. Yeah, we're really, really psyched about it. It's been fun so far, but uh, we've been looking forward to... You got a little something for us here, it looks like. Uh, some some calendars that we can look at while we talk about it. Uh, <sighs> here, let me uh, give you some of these. Our official calendar was wow. printed today so lovely i love it and this is the first calendar in is it one calendar year or was that, so the last calendar was december 2017 correct so this wow. is the first calendar of 2018 cool. unless you want to count the, the little dummy calendar that we uh, have on our website right now we don't so uh i mean obviously you introduced yourself in terms of uh being social media but uh tell us a little bit about what you actually you know day-to-day do at the cinema and i'm also curious what you can tell us about how you know the cinema is programmed in general before we get into this just because it's episode one sure i spend uh, most of my time every day just telling people to listen to the pure cinema podcast <laughs> especially That's the, That's the bonkers episode that i was on previously nice. yes that was um, a good episode. please go check that out scream for help uh, <laughs> but i do uh you know, I interact with customers and patrons online. So if you have ever sent the New Beverly a tweet and you got a like or a response, that was me. If you've ever sent us a Facebook message or left a comment, I handle all that. I also handle everything on our website. So if you ever think, wow, what a perfect image choice for this film, <laughs> that is uh, something that I handle. If you've ever successfully purchased a ticket on our website, then I handle all the ticketing as well. If you had problems with any of those things, then... Uh, I think that's Brian over here. That's my, else. That's my yeah, bad. Yeah. I jumped in there. But so, yeah, so any post on the uh, Twitter feed. So you pick all the pictures for the, the New Beverly Twitter, and I always love the pictures that you choose. Thank you. They're great. No, it's I'm a, I'm a guy who, because I've been running a blog for years, takes a little time selecting images, and so I appreciate somebody else that I know is not grabbing the first image that comes up on a Google image search and is actually looking for something interesting, and I know you're that guy. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I... Do love it. I love movies, so I guess I'm in the right spot. You are. Uh, so yeah, what can I mean? What can you tell me for people who don't know? Because I mean, some <coughs> people maybe know broad strokes about how the theater's programmed. Only you know whatever you can reveal behind the curtain. We're always curious how, like you know how how some of the themes come together. Because this one definitely once you and we're going to be getting into every single film here, but definitely the, there's a couple themes running parallel here. So well, first I'll give you like a, a little background yeah. on the theater. So the New Beverly's been around since 1978. We are a repertory theater. We play older movies, and we do it on a double feature format. So a couple times a week, we switch it out, and we play different double features that are themed either by topic or filmmaker, actor, sort of things like that. And uh, we've been going about it a long time. And then in 2014, the theater uh, started to be programmed by Quentin Tarantino, who actually owns and operates the theater. So he handles all the programming capabilities. So he has a good time doing that. Yeah. So people know he actually is pick, handpicking a lot of these, you know, the majority of these films. It's not just something they say. This is actually a lot of thought and times being put into how to put these together. And I assume a lot of it's coming from because it's the other thing for people who might not know. It's all 35 millimeter uh, projected, so a, a lot of print we, we, sourcing has to happen. Obviously, we do uh, program some sixteen, but mm. I think all December is going to be all thirty-five. So it's cool. going nice. to be a very cool calendar. Um, so what 
we generally do at the theater is uh, Quentin comes up with his program for a month and he turns it into uh, Julie McLean, the director of operations at the theater. And he actually draws out a little calendar. He makes like draws a little graph and, oh, cool. you know, like the different calendar days right. and he handwrites all of the films that he wants played and then he goes over it with uh, Julie and, and tells her why he's doing certain things and... <laughs> options. Sometimes he'll put multiple titles because what happens when we actually sit down to go research film rights and find film prints, sometimes things become unavailable. So sometimes he'll give Julie and uh, us, our team, uh, some options to look through. How much harder is that getting? I imagine the world of uh, print trading and is just getting harder that studios are probably locking up certain titles because they can't be bothered putting them out. That What is that world like? I mean, that seems like an adventure story to me. Yeah, that's actually probably the most exciting part of my job. I am one of the guys who goes out searching the internet and all of our like collector networks. There is an underground film circle populated by a lot of people that run similar themed theaters across the country and film programmers and festivals. And there is just an untapped, unseen, secret archive of film prints out there. And so we source film prints from them, from studios, filmmakers, things like that. And while some studios have made it more difficult to get film prints out of their hands, uh, others have actually opened their archive to us. So we've been getting a lot of special, beautiful archive prints, a lot of films struck from the original negative, things like that. I would actually say that the the films themselves have probably never looked better. In the 40 years. Oh, great. Is there like a master list out there that you guys are able to look at when you're making these plans so you know, oh, I didn't even realize that was available. There it is. Or is it really a back-end thing that a film's chosen or a number of options and then you just go on the hunt? Yeah. I mean, I've certainly compiled like various lists from uh, some of our biggest acquaintances. And, you know, we've shared those with Quentin. So I think sometimes he probably looks at that and uh, knows what's available. But otherwise, he's, I think, pulling from his own like uh, knowledge base. Yeah. What's his, the name of the book that was released about the world of print cuts? A Thousand Little Cuts? A or? Thousand Cuts? A Thousand Cuts, yeah. It's direct, uh, written by Jeff Joseph and Dennis Bartok. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we mentioned that briefly on the yeah, podcast yeah. episode, too. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to read that for Christmas, actually. I haven't read it yet. But, yeah, me too. Uh, it, just that, that world, it portrays there's such a history behind, you know, in the past, especially. But the, the legalities in the past where there's FBI raiding people and stuff, is just, it's wild from what I... Yeah, it's uh, the stories in that book really make your uh, hair stand on end, yeah. especially because I'm in that book telling people <laughs> about the film prints I have. And then, right. you know, the previous chapters, people are talking about being raided and being sent to like jail and stuff like yeah. that. So it gives me cause that maybe I shouldn't have talked to those authors. <laughs> and now um, it's in print. And now yes. you're on a podcast. It, so it's <laughs> exactly. Double jeopardy. Um, but also uh, beyond uh, the private collectors and the filmmakers and the studios, Quentin pulls a lot of prints from his own sizable archives. So Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask about that. So like, I'm guessing, and I've seen this before on the calendars, you know, you'll see IB Tech print. I'm guessing a lot of those are his prints, the IB Techs, or is that stuff he just loves to show IB Tech when he can? Well, IB Tech is going to be, for people who don't know, it's uh, an older, now extinct uh, color processing system. The Technicolor dye transfer, or imbibition printing process, was introduced in 1926. It had been in development for almost eight years and was seen as a replacement for the problematic cemented printing technique. It was largely invented by Daniel F. Comstock, who was one of the founders of Technicolor. The dye transfer process became one of Technicolor's greatest legacies, 
and remained in continuous use for almost 50 years until the mid-1970s. Technicolor prints were inherently a little soft. They weren't as sharp as black and white prints. This was because the dyes had to transfer into the blank film, and they spread a little bit. To maintain a level of sharpness during the early days of three-color printing, Technicolor applied a key image underneath the dyes. The key image was actually a light or soft black and white image printed on the film. Each die was then printed on top of this, one by one, as normal. This enhanced the definition and the contrast. Technicolor's imbibition technology was used in the United States until 1975, in Britain until 1978, and in Italy until around 1980. Despite the superior quality and cost savings when making large quantities of prints, Technicolor struggled to maintain the process with competition from Kodak's Eastman Color and other rival processes. Technicolor's imbibition technology is now considered obsolete. The equipment was deinstalled years ago. It has been dismantled and dispersed. It can't be reconstructed again, at least not without huge investment. Because of this, Technicolor prints are now irreplaceable. They cannot be recreated. The technology is effectively extinct. Another benefit of Technicolor is that the prints don't fade. When compared to other companies' colour processes, which became notorious for fading to pink or magenta over time, Technicolor prints have held their vibrancy to this day. For this reason, they are valuable documents of what audiences originally saw and are frequently consulted for film restorations. You could compare these prints to original artworks in museums and galleries. To truly understand and appreciate the beauty of this process, you have to experience it in person. And the film prints look stunning. They look otherworldly almost. The color looks un unbelievable. Whereas a lot of vintage films, uh, the color has faded on vintage film prints. Yeah. So those are fairly special. And I think that we do run a lot of those, certainly more than probably any other theater around. And I know that Quentin has quite a few in his collection, so... That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I, this was the. I'm sure that maybe the Egyptian had, you know, indicated at some point they were doing that. But the new Bev calendar was the first calendar where I noticed IB Tech print tagged uh, entries. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know people were into that still. It's so. kind of a, a sort of seal to be like, you need to check this out because all these IB Tech prints out there, those are the last ones in existence. Mm. So if you don't see it now, you probably never will. Those mm. prints aren't getting younger. Yeah, and and it's like. Better than Blu-ray, probably for those that are just like, well, I've got it on Blu-ray, but this sounds like a really incredible color. And I certainly know uh, a lot of film collectors who who trade in IB Tech prints, and they have actually worked with studios to loan them these prints, so that way they can like color grade their like Blu-ray releases and wow. stuff like that. Nice. Okay. And we'll their definitely, like restorations. We'll definitely make note of the IB Tech prints when we go through here. I think um, we have a few this month. Yeah. Um, but, and before we jump into the calendar, do you know, I mean, you might not even know, but with the history of the calendar itself, did that exist back in 78? Was like, did they launch the theater and have this calendar? Yes. And, oh, the, awesome. it, if you saw a calendar from 1978, it would look almost identical oh, to this. Cool. That's awesome. Um, certainly, we screen more films per month now than we did in 1978. So some of the boxes in 78 were wider because yeah. a film might play for, you know, four or five days. But otherwise, the same sort of thing. It actually has the same uh, border, same font on the center. I love the font. But it was the Beverly Cinema originally, right? Back no, it was, it was always called the New Beverly Cinema. Oh, okay. Prior to becoming a repertory theater, it yeah. was uh, a variety of other things, including an adult theater, uh, a strange playhouse, <laughs> all sorts of things. There is a pickle Monty, shop. Do you know the Monty Pickle Shop collection? 
I, connection? I think I do, but maybe oh. you should tell people. Well, I only only heard that, and I, I've been trying it. It's not even on um, it's not even on Wikipedia anywhere. So, but he he says, you know, it was I guess it had, I think it was before it was a split screen at some point, right? There was space for two cinemas. It was a theater, and he had a small theater company, and they did you know uh, some Russian play, obscure play, and Roger Corman came. It was before he'd made a film with Corman or done any of that, and Corman came and said, I think Monty asked if he could invest in the theater show they were doing, and Corman just said, you got to get out of theater, movies are the future, (laughs) and he was in denial about it, and then of course he would go on to work for him, and then that place would turn into a movie theater very quickly afterwards, so I always thought that was, but it feels like somebody needs to do, you know, that deep Wikipedia dive to get some of those stories for the new, before that disappears, it's always sad when those stories disappear, you you lose some of that context, you know, but who knows, it might might be fictional, (laughs) It might have been the place next door, um, but anyway. But so it's exciting. So we're talking. This is this is a show idea that we um, came up with just before you know relaunching. That we just think is going to be a really interesting way for the, obviously people who live here. This is a great way to kind of complement uh, the calendar itself by talking about these movies, uh, what we've seen, what we haven't seen, what we've never heard of. This isn't a place for us to tell you we're we're experts on every one of these movies because th- that's the that's why there's such interesting eclectic um, uh, you know curation. But uh, you know it's been off for one year, so let's talk about the first film when you come back because the timing of this is is a, is pretty you know incredible because you're returning with uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and. Literally yesterday or the day before we lost William Goldman, the screenwriter. Maybe there's a way to make a profit in this. Bet on Logan. I would, but who'd bet on you? Sundance. When we're done, if he's dead, you're welcome to stay. Listen, I don't mean to be a sore loser, but uh, when it's done, if I'm dead, kill him. Love to. No, no, not yet. Not until me and Harvey get the rules straightened out. Rules? In a knife fight? No rules. Well, if there ain't gonna be any rules, let's get the fight started. Someone count one, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. I was really rooting for you, Butch. That was the first huge laugh in the movie. The kick in the balls was so startling when it happened. No one... There was, you know, Paul Newman didn't do that. No one did that. The Western heroes did not do that. And there was a moment when that movie was playing, when it was new, when there was this gasp and then this huge laugh. It was wonderful. You were telling us something about the two of them at that time as well. Yes, I was trying to set up that there's, you know, they have an odd relationship, you know. I would, but who'd bet on you? That's a... By the time that scene was over, I had hoped that you would basically understand what the two men were, how they were different from other people, how they had a big gang, how they were miserable with their lives, and don't mess with them. I think you need to take a closer look at uh-huh. that calendar because we're actually reopening with Butch and Sundance, the early oh, well. days. Yeah, well, you're opening with both of them. <laughs> Let, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair, yes. But we are actually playing the prequel first. Okay. Which I had, to be perfectly honest, had never even heard of. Didn't even know oh, there really? was a prequel to this movie. They're made 10 years apart, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and that's Richard Lester directed, which mm-hmm. I was, I thought that's fascinating because I love Petulia a lot. Yeah, we actually screened it a few years ago during a Richard Lester festival that oh, we cool. had. Yeah, it stars uh, Tom Berenger and William Cat. Tom Berenger is Butch. I'm Butch Cassidy, the outlaw. You don't know who I am? I'm a fairly well-known outlaw. That's right, Dutch Cassidy. William Cat is Sundance. Really? 
Not again. Come on, are we going to rob something or not? Yeah, we're going to rob something. Okay, how about a train? You don't just go and rob a train. That takes practice. Butch and Sundance, the early days. Before the fame, when fun was the name of the game. Stop the train! Oh, you fellas want to get off? Tom Berenger, I, I watched the trailer, and Tom Berenger actually looked really good as a young Newman in, in terms of that character. Like, I actually it sold it. I wouldn't think so on paper because I think of Berenger, he just looks so different. Post-Platoon Berenger is a totally different Berenger, I guess. Yeah. But uh, have, has anyone seen this one here? I think I have, uh-huh. but it's weird. Phil, you'd remember the VHS. I remember I had the, the Playhouse VHS mm-hmm. of this. And I bought it used, and I know I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this. It looks exciting. Richard Lester, you know. I don't know if I watched it. And then I bought the um, Shout Factory DVD double with uh, the Charles Bronson movie, uh, Death Hunt, and I have not opened it. So I don't know if I've watched it yet. No reason to be there December 1st. That's right. Exactly. I I haven't seen seen it either, so I'm looking forward to it very much. I, of course, have seen uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid quite a few times. Yeah, with the Paul Newman specialist, George Roy Hill. He did a number of uh, great Paul Newman films. But um, I did read this, which is for those who I was curious, I wanted to look it up, that some of this actually had scenes that Goldman had written for the original and couldn't fit in have actually bled into the prequel. Oh, interesting. So uh, that was really. the only thing, tidbit, I thought was might be interesting. So I'm, I'm very curious to see them in that order. Uh, we'll definitely be there day one and, and talk about it on the next uh, episode. That's something I'm pretty excited about. But just the timing is, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, he's he's one of my favorites. And, and uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade was one of the first in Hollywood books I ever read. And I was just kind of like, wow, this is this is something else, you know. He's... He's an interesting dude, that's for sure. Because we'll definitely see a lot of Christmas and gangster, spoiler, as we get into this, a lot of Christmas and gangster uh, themes coming through. But obviously, Butch and uh, Sundance, and and I I assume because you didn't pick this film, you have no idea why why this film to relaunch. Because it seems that's the only one I'm, I'm curious about just because it's the first thing when you're back. Any idea? Any insight? I'm very curious. I know that uh, Quentin played Butch Cassidy and Sunnet's kid at a, the Lumiere Festival oh, in France cool. when oh. he uh, went there last year. I was six years old when Butch Cassidy came out, and I actually saw it at the famous Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood, which actually was my very first trip my parents ever took me to Hollywood. So the first time I ever saw Hollywood, I ended up seeing Butch Cassidy that night. Um, I know that he's a huge fan of the movie, and I've been reading a lot of the trades reports about uh, Quentin's new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I keep seeing the reference, uh, referencing the chemistry of Paul Newman and Robert Redford in Butch Cassidy, using that to uh, refer to Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie. So I think uh, cool. there might be something that we're working out here. Nice. I'm very interested. That's cool. Um, I do know something that's very interesting is that Quentin specifically said that most theaters would play Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid first. It's certainly the more well-known movie. It's uh, probably more well-regarded. But the interesting thing is we're the new Beverly. We can do things our own way. <laughs> and our way is that we're going to play early days first. Yeah. I like it. It did cross my mind. I won't lie. Like as soon as uh, they got, ah, oh, I'd kind of like to watch Butch, but hearing that, no, that reason, I, it's cool. It's like, I actually want to see, see early days order, first. Yeah. I want to, I want to warm up, especially because yeah. it's the first night the theater's open in a year. I just, I like, I think that first movie, I don't know, not like I won't be paying attention. I will be, but I want to have something that I can kind of amp up to. Well, probably, and it. hardly probably anyone will have seen it. And yep, so that's kind yep. of a fun way to kickstart. So. Absolutely. Also, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid has such 
an electrifying ending uh, that it's going to just right. cap the night. I think it'll be a very good way to walk out. Yeah. How so do you yeah. close with that ending and then go right into another? It doesn't make sense. I think your way is the only way. So that's the first three uh, first three days of the programming. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So the yeah, it takes us through December third. Yep, and then we and then we have to now for those looking at the actual thing, you have to flip to the other side because we're going to go in order. So we've got our uh, you tell us a little bit about like as you run on here, kitties and mad, midnights. Uh, just explain that because I know you're you've been more involved in obviously midnight programming everywhere you know in LA in general. Uh, talk us through these sections. So uh, every weekend, the New Beverly has. Uh, Midnight movies on Friday and Saturday. Friday night, we tend to screen a movie by or related to Tarantino. And then on Saturday, we play something different. So I'm excited that our first midnight back is going to be Days Confused, which is kind of one of the ultimate uh, hangout movies, yeah. good vibes. And uh, we're going to be celebrating the 25th anniversary of that. So. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, Mike. I got to tell you about this dream I had last night. Oh, yeah? Why is that? But I'm... Um, you gotta promise not to tell anyone, okay? Yeah, sure. No, no, say it, I promise. Oh, Jesus. I promise not to tell anyone. Okay, thank you. Um, well, okay, there I am, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting it on, you know, with what had this perfect female body. Uh-huh. But... What? 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 Um, I can't say. Oh, come on, man, you can't give a build-up like that, you know, and not deliver, right? I mean, come on, a perfect female body, it's not a bad start. But the head of Abraham Lincoln. Ah, I mean, the hat and the beard. And... Oh, well, let's not think too deeply on this one, right? That's not. That, I think that's crazy. Man, I just suddenly felt old. I did not realize that was 25 <laughs> years. And that's a fun one because I don't think of it as a midnight movie, so I'm kind of excited about it as it becoming a midnight movie in that sense, you know? I feel like this isn't new. It's been a midnight movie before, right? It's yeah, but yeah, certainly. But, I think, but this uh, is a great starter. I yeah. think it's a really it's it's a movie that has grown on me and grown on me and grown my, on me over the years. I remember I came out when I was in high school, and there were some people in my class that I wasn't, let's say I wasn't friends with these people, and they were just all about it. They just <laughs> loved this movie. Were and they so, like Ben Affleck with the paddle? They, they didn't, <laughs> they these were? weren't paddle-carrying okay, people, good. but they, they were folks I just wasn't uh, necessarily into. And um, so I think I... I just was like, okay, they're way too into that movie, and I don't want anything to do with it. And I didn't watch it for years, and then I finally watched it on VHS, and I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. But you know, maybe I thought it was just kind of like, I think I'd written it off as like a stoner movie or something, which is really unfortunate of me to have done because when I watch it now, it's literally one of my favorite movies. Like it's it's in my pantheon of movies that I love to just like you say, hang out and watch. It's just so, and it's got a great ending. I mean, I just, there's so much about it that uh, I love. And and I love the sort of way it connects to Everybody Wants Some. I think those two are really, and that's a movie I feel like it did not really get the play that it deserved or the attention it deserved when it came out. And I'm hoping it'll eventually find its way into the midnight circuit so it can get a little more love. Yeah, I think it will. Yeah, what kind of movies do best at the New Bedford Midnight? I mean, I always, I always oh, yeah. assume it's a genre fair. Um, but like, I mean, you're, you're there for most of the midnight. What do you find people most flock to at midnight? More outside the box type stuff? Yeah, I would say probably the, one of the most successful thing is definitely like the genre fair. So horror is always going to do well. And we're going to see a bunch of horror like later in the month as the midnights, but strange things, weird things, things that are a little outside the normal double feature purview. Yeah. 
that's what gets me out of the house usually for if it's going to be that especially at this age when i was younger i'd watch anything at midnight but uh things that'll keep you awake yeah exactly uh so let's uh, let's turn to the first kitty because uh, this is something I, I i love that you guys do this uh, and uh obviously i uh, the times might are they the same or different than they used to be so yeah i think the the kitty matinees uh, we're going to be just going straight ahead like we did uh previously so every saturday and sunday at 2 p.m we're gonna present a, a family appropriate yeah. film which is kind of funny because batman returns is pretty dark <laughs> i was gonna uh, say but it is my, it i want to take my kid batman to it film. and i mean easily it's my of all batman franchises batman 2 is the best batman yes adulation is across the bear god knows i know but someone's got to supplant our standing in the way of progress mayor and don't deny it mr cobblepot you've got the magic your charisma's bigger than both of us come on um, but th- those shows are, these kitty matinee shows are great because we have like a, a bargain ticket price. It's $6 for each person, whether you're uh-huh. an adult, a kid. And uh, then we do something fun for the kids uh, 12 and under. We give them their own popcorn for free. Nice. And we also give them a raffle ticket and we do a quick raffle before the show. So Aww. a lot of kids end up going home with, you know, fun books and like yeah. DVDs and things like that. My kid didn't win during E.T. God damn <laughs> He's it. He's still upset about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we don't need to obviously say much about Batman Returns, but I just think, I think Pfeiffer and Walken in that film is what I walk away with. I always think about those scenes together. What I'm always going to think about now yeah. is Dan Waters. Know, and, totally, yeah. and he's like, I don't know if you heard that episode, Phil, but we were talking to him about like, you know, your name is on Batman Returns. And he's like, well, who wrote the better arbitration letter? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I just will. His arbitration yeah. letters is what I think of when I think of Batman Returns. I love Batman Returns. I think it's great. Maybe yeah. we can get him out to tell that story yeah, uh, yeah, in live. person to children. I think you should. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so all the kitty matinees in December, they're all uh, holiday themed. Okay, so cool. Batman Returns is like, you know, is, movie, a, is a secret Christmas movie, which is, yep. you know, oh, my favorite right. kind. And there's yeah. quite a few of those on here, actually. Um, and so then we go to uh, our Tuesdays, uh, which I guess are still going to be the uh, Tuesdays, still going to be Grindhouse Tuesday? Tuesdays are still going to be Grindhouse Tuesday, except for uh, Christmas. Okay. Christmas yeah. Day, Lansdowne on a Tuesday this year. All oh, right. So this one, uh, these are two, I've heard, I mean, I've, I've never seen either of these two. I've heard of, obviously, uh, The Family uh, on 12th uh, fourth, and Family Enforcer, a.k.a. The Death Collector. But if you have if you look up The f- the Family, Violent City I, seems to be the more... That's how Blue Underground title. put it out on disc, yeah. and I think it's how it's better known. Which has Charles Bronson and Telly Savalas mm-hmm. in Jill Ireland, because it's Charles Bronson. Hello? Who is it? There's someone waiting to kill you. What? You can see him if you look out of your porthole. Being a killer is easy if you're a member of the family. I want that film. And I want you to join our little family. I've been a know of it all my life, Liver. But when a private killer cuts into the family business, being a killer is suicide. Why is it whenever I'm with you, I always end up in the middle of blood violence? Uh, has anyone seen this one? I have, and I liked it. Okay. Uh, but it's been a while. It's been a while. I have. It's directed by Sergio Salima, the yeah. Italian uh, master. So it is very hard edge, very Italian, very 70s. I remember it having a good ending for some yes. reason. It has a surprise ending, there I think is what okay. the trailer yeah. says or yeah, something, something like, like that. that yeah. But the sequel is the first Joe Pesci film, I believe, unless that's a misnomer. I know Joe Pesci's in it uh, with Frank Vincent, but I think... Yeah, the B feature, Yeah, yeah B. Uh, Family Enforcer. Every family should protect its honor. He's Scalisi's nephew, and you don't abuse a Scalisi. But only one family repays dishonor with death. 
At the hands of the family enforcer. I don't want violence. I don't want you breaking his arms or shooting him or whatever you people do. Don't tell it to a tombstone. Yeah, I think uh, Frank Vincent and Joe Pesci uh, are in it. It's uh, very early for them. And uh, the story has always been that De Niro saw the movie, made uh, Scorsese watch it, and that's how everything happened after that. Raging Bull. So there's a direct line from Family Enforcer to Raging Bull. Yes. I love it. Or even a direct line into Goodfellas, which we have later in the week, because Frank Vincent and Joe Pesci are both in that, too. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, now that one actually looked pretty gritty. Like, uh, I wasn't sure what... Was it actually made as a sequel, or is it just title? No, I think it's... Don't think they're connected They're they're not rated. Okay, just the word the family in there. Okay. Um, Cool. So those those ones actually look really exciting. So this is where we get into our kind of gangster-themed sequence here, which is exciting. Uh, We then go uh, on the 5th and 6th. We've got some De Palma uh, Untouchables. Big fans of Untouchables? Love it. Of course. Yeah, pure opera. Um, and then one I haven't seen again, and, and it looked, actually looking at the trailer, Ben Gazzara looked incredible playing Capone. I run this outfit. Me, Al Capone. How do you think it's going to go in there, Al? Wasted time. Instead of the government trying to put me away for running the business, they ought to be putting all that effort and getting rid of the Reds and Bolsheviks who are trying to take over our wonderful country. There hasn't been an honest election in this town in years. Now you know who owns this town. Mr. Capone, you're breaking a lot of laws around here. Capone, the man who made the 20s roar. He seized a piece of America all for himself and rose from street fighter to emperor of Chicago. Yeah. Now, this is one I feel like... uh, I thought I had a DVD of this somewhere, but I don't know if it's really that available. I'm sure you would know, Phil, if it is, but... I, I don't, think there's got to be. Is there not a disc? There's there, got to be a disc. There might be, but I get it crossed with Dillinger for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Because they're around the same time. And the Saint Valentine's Massacre is another one. Yeah, well, th- those I know the availability of, yeah. but this one I don't. But but yeah, I'm a huge Ben Gazzara fan, and uh, and he really, I don't know. Quentin picks movies with good trailers. I'll tell you that. And I'm just watching some of these. I'm like, yeah, I, you could, you've sold me with this trailer. But Ben Gazzara alone would have sold me. So. Well, Dick Miller would have sold you. You yeah. would have seen Dick Miller in the trailer, <laughs> and, and then Cassavetes. So it's kind of exciting to see, you know, Ben and Cassavetes in another. But it had the best. Uh, the one thing I wrote down was uh, its tagline was "The Private Life of a Public Enemy." And I'm like, oh, that's writing. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I'm sold alone. But yeah, you, so, know, you get to see two Capone movies. So. Yeah. So that's December fifth and sixth: The Untouchables and Capone. And we're gonna get a gorgeous archive print of Capone from Fox. So that oh, is absolutely cool. stick around after Untouchables for that one. Nice. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to see that. And then we get to what you were just teasing, uh, Goodfellas, which also ties into a little saying me and Brian also just revealed uh, because it was Marty's birthday. We had already chosen. We've already started on this endeavor, but we will be pairing uh, every one of Marty's narrative features. Uh, we had somebody on Twitter. Somebody wants us to do all the documentaries. That <laughs> yes. would take us two years. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, we let that person down. Yeah, because... we're still dealing with 30-something features. Uh, we will be pairing each one of them in a three-part series. So as uh, so Goodfellas will all be part two yeah. because it's um, eight films each, pretty much nine. Yeah, so somewhere far. in there. But just so people don't know and don't expect part two right after part one, we're going to yeah. space them out a little bit. This yeah, time. by each month, by a month, I think, each yeah. time. Yeah. So, but anyway, anyway, it's been exciting. So we're we're past watching Goodfellas again. I, I just watched it only a couple of days ago again, and it's just such a virtuoso piece of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah it's electrifying. Yeah, I think, and I think the addition of Balha, about me and Michael Balhaus, uh, his work, I feel like the two artists move and change together. Oh, boy. And it really, you know, because, you know, if you go and look at Fassbender films uh, like Fox and His Friend, you see his style, uh, 
Bauhaus's, and when it joins with Scorsese, it's like these two spirits were meant to create Absolutely. together. And this film's electric. We'll talk yeah, more ha- on that one. Has later, one but. of my favorite opening sections. You yeah. know, like I'm I'm not one of those people that necessarily puts on a movie and can't like can't leave the room unless I finish it. But the beginning section of Goodfellas, if I start that, I there's no way that. You know, I, I usually about the time that they start talking about the Lufthansa heist, I can take a break if I need to. But getting up to that point, all that voiceover, some of my favorite voiceover in any film is Ray Liotta's voiceover from the beginning of that movie. It's just so great. Yeah, it's interesting. You know what? I was watching it this time and thinking, oh, my God, uh, Boogie Nights is the exact same structure. It's almost the same movie. If you think about the structure of the first half of growing into the thing and then the dark side of the dream, once you achieve the dream, then the second half of Boogie Nights is the, and the way the camera moves, you can really feel the influence of Goodfellas on Boogie Nights. Those two movies, anyway. They're Boogie the same Nights energy, yes. <laughs> yeah, Boogie Nights is not part of this month, so forget that. Uh, but I am really interested in the one that you paired it with uh, because we were just talking about Cassavetes having a, a small role in Capone, but we have uh, Cassavetes in Machine Gun McCain, which I saw a long time ago, and I remember thinking it was a really hard-nosed kind of Point blankish vibe. It's a heist of a casino. Cigarette? Something wrong? Who are those two slobs out there? Coot and Barkley. Coot and Barkley. They're good. They're bums. They're punks. They're fringe nothings. Now, whose idea was this? It was mine. It's good. Thank you. What do you do? Sell women? You sell marijuana? What do you do? What'd you get the 25,000? I wouldn't give you 25 cents. What do you do? You go out and you hustle yourself all over the street. Small time. No dignity! You don't beg. That's why, Hank. I need this chance. I got tired of being small change. You're going to be small change all your life. I don't know. Is there a good version of this? There's a Blue Underground Blu-ray. Oh, there is now. But I don't know if it's still in print or not. Regardless, this isn't one of the IB Tech prints for the month. So I'm very curious oh, cool. how that's going to look. Uh, but uh, his, he's got some cool, like, Jenna Rollins is in this, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's got some, a cameo, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's Peter a, Falk. It, yeah, it's got a good little cast. Peter Falk's a bad guy from memory. Yeah, I think, I think you might be right. I, I remember this one I had never heard of until I think Quentin had programmed it way back at maybe an Alamo Drafthouse QT Fest in the late 90s. And I, that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And I was like, what is this Cassavetes movie? And at the time, it was really hard to see. I think I was able to find, finally see it on TV somewhere. But I haven't watched it in a while, so this is actually kind of perfect. Um, yeah, I like this. This is a great double. So that's 12-7 uh, and 12-8. Another thing about Machine Gun December McCain 7th and December 8th. Is, is that it uh, was released in 1969, which is uh, the same year that Quentin's new movie is set. Oh, oh cool. nice. Interesting. Okay. And then we're back to some kitties and matinee. So, so Saturday, December eighth, Death Race two thousand. Well, let's 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 uh, back it up to uh, f- the Friday midnight. So all oh, month, as part of our Gangster Christmas, uh, we're going to be playing Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be playing uh, <laughs> the beautiful new print that we struck last year. So, oh, cool. it should look fantastic. If you haven't seen Reservoir Dogs, this is absolutely the way to do it. We put on a special pre-show, theme trailers, all this, all that the must good be stuff. So fun for young people who haven't seen that movie. They've probably seen like you know post inglorious Tarantino movies, but maybe have never seen Dogs. And to think, like we've talked about it at length when we did an episode where we paired all of Tarantino's films, you know, maybe a year and a half ago. I don't even remember what I paired Reservoir Dogs. With. I can't That's either funny. right now. That's funny. Um, but but both of us talked about how dramatic an impact that first viewing of that movie was, like a bomb going off 
in terms of like a voice of a new filmmaker. Uh, and we're not just saying that because we're on the show. <laughs> uh, but but I can only imagine what it must be. I'd love to get like tell my film students to go if they had never seen it and just see it this way because I just I just think that'd be fantastic. Such a cool way to discover it. Anyway, the, yeah, the audience for the the Friday Midnights is really interesting. It tends to skew a little bit younger. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are watching the movies for the first time. That's because neat. you think, oh, I'm going to watch this Tarantino movie for the first time. I'm going to go to his theater to see it. And the energy in the theater tends to be pretty raucous. It's very excited. Nice. Yeah. No, that's cool. I'd, I kind of like the idea of going to see it with a bunch of people that are seeing it for the first time. That's kind of neat. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the kids' matinee, this one, I will, if you ever want to meet me, 100%, I will be at this movie with my four-year-old. It is his favorite movie, and he's never seen it on a screen. He watches it, like, you know, once a week, and that is Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, so I definitely am going to take him. I'm, I'm kind of excited because it will be his first time at the New Beverly. Uh, he, the, the, the My older kid got to see E.T., but, so this will be the first time for the four-year-old. So, nice. Uh, and this is such a great movie, especially for kids if your kids are young because it's it's like I think it's only like 78 minutes or 80 minutes so it's a perfect running time for someone young <laughs> attention span and it's also great because we're broaching uh, we're broaching Halloween to Christmas it's the perfect in between movie I think so that's super fun um, so that's two you've got that on two days yep so we have that on the Saturday and Sunday the December 8th and 9th so all, all right. the kitty matinees run on the Saturday and cool. Sunday all right um, and then that Saturday at midnight we're going to be celebrating uh, David Carradine's birthday yeah, with uh, awesome. Death Race 2000 so every year we always put on a show in uh, memory of one of our favorite actors yeah. and we always put on a special pre-show again uh, dedicated to him and that should be a, a good night we tend to have a bunch of his friends come down awesome. and watch the movies and it's fantastic always to see him on screen wow in that movie is okay. like all the Corman movies from the seventies, just razor tight, eighty minutes, yeah. no fooling around. It and gets, Paul gets going. Funny, and he's such a good director. It's really satirical. It's funny. You get to see a young Sylvester Stallone in a really great. <laughs> I mean, there's such good sight gags with the old people crossing. It, it's a fun movie. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. That'd be a, definitely a good one to see with people in the first time. Yeah, that was one of my first cult movie discoveries. Like when I was fi- figuring out cult movies. I think through Danny Perry's books, maybe, yeah. but I remember one. I still have the T-shirts that I bought from the video store I worked at across the street from there. They had a like a punk rock kind of shop that had some T-shirts. They had a Death Race 2000 shirt and a Racerhead shirt, and I was like, "All right," and I still have those. Those are my oldest shirts that I own. Also excited. Uh, that's my print screening of that movie. So, oh, cool. Ooh, very cool. Uh, and then we jump into some westerns. Now, is there? There's not a western day that you guys usually do, right? It's not like how the Tuesdays have uh, exploitation. They're just happen to fall on Mondays, Sunday Mondays. Correct. No, okay, we we play a lot of westerns, yep. but we don't have like a western day. So this time we've got the Magnificent Seven, which has like just one of the sickest lineup of actors ever to all be in one film. Uh, Wallach. Brunner, uh, McQueen, Bronson Vaughn, Coburn, everyone in a film, which I still marvel at. Uh, and then Guns of the Magnificent Seven, which is the third, third part. One. Right. And this one came out in 69 as well. Okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Was And do you think that was part of the plan or just random? I do not know. It could be part of a master plan. I actually haven't seen uh, the sequel, these sequels. So I haven't uh, seen. You know, I think I've seen the second one. I definitely haven't seen the third. What about you? I have not. Uh, I have, is it the Magnificent Seven Ride? Is that the second one? Or I think I, that's uh, the fourth second. one. Mm-hmm. I'm getting confused now. Well, because there and there was also obviously a remake last year, so some people who have seen the remake might not have seen the original, and you've got to see it because it's such a classy lineup. Everyone's so good, and it's just it feels like such a beautiful classic. It's not like a gritty western, how things would turn under Peck and Pie. This is before that. It just this it feels like one of those last classical ones. And uh, what I loved in looking up part three is that George Kennedy <laughs> takes over the role of Yul Brynner, and I'm just like that is the least likely casting in the history of movies. But it's uh, George Kennedy 
Kennedy and Joe Don Baker, and they had both just come from um, Cool Hand Luke yeah. uh, together. So no, I thought that's kind of interesting. This cast is great. James Whitmore, Bernie Casey, Rennie Santoni. Los hombres tienen que pelear, las mujeres tienen que llorar. The, the men have to fight and the women have to cry. I was lonely. I want to say something in my own language. Why, Max? Men have to fight and women have to cry. I don't know, Chris. It's just a saying. Yeah, it's a good lineup. Yeah, it's one of those, like, sort of, like, I don't want to call them second-tier character actors because to me they're A-tier, but these are guys that when they appear in any movie are great and you put them all together and I feel like that... That's exciting. Like I'm, I like the Magnificent Seven, but I'm like way excited for Guns of the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, what's well, like the and this is a pre Ocean's Eleven casting that way, where you just load it with just and obviously disaster films too. Obviously, we have those just casts that go on for hours. I love that uh, stuff. Yeah, it's it's a all the fun. boxes on the poster. Uh, do you know anything about these prints? Uh, I know that they're both coming from the studio, so they should look fantastic. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah, that's, that seems like a must night. Actually, of, of the night so far, that's one I feel like I, I would definitely would love to see both of them together. Yep. I feel like that's the perfect one to bring your dad to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then we have, because uh, I feel like you often have a Hong Kong night. Am I just imagining that, or is it just kind of common in the uh, Exploitation Tuesdays? I think that we just we probably play more Hong Kong movies than yeah. other theaters, yeah. but it frequently lines up in our Grindhouse Tuesdays. So these are the two I knew of anything on the calendar. This I knew nothing about either of this. We have uh, Hong Kong Hitman Grindhouse, uh, A Taste of Killing and Romance, which is a great title, uh, directed by Veronica Chan, who I looked up and had made a lot of films. It looked interesting. And then another one called The Odd One Dies, which is a triad gangster film. Uh, and Co-directed by Johnny Toe. Yeah, yeah, Johnny Toe, who I'm much more familiar with than this one. But and Andy Lau uh, is the actor who's obviously in tons of movies from this period. Do you know? Have you seen either of these films? I have not seen either, but okay. reading up on both of them, they okay. sound uh, very interesting and very. <laughs> they're they're very similar. They're both about uh, hit men meeting hit women and then having complications. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that, so, I, Mr. I, I and Mrs. Smith smiles. Right, right. right. <laughs> nice. Going blind. Okay. All right. I mean, that's the thing. It's, you, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be fun, and it's going to be action-packed. Um, and take take this one, uh, uh, Brian, because this next uh, couple, because we talked about initially going like Henry Hathaway double. And yeah. Both of us, I remember yeah, when we this first is one, read it. When we first saw the list, I was excited about because I, I like Henry Hathaway. We've got on December 12th and 13th, uh, The Last Safari and Shootout. And... Um, boy, The Last Safari is a really rare movie. Like, it is. I, I don't think it's ever been available on home video at all. I can't find a trailer online. I can't find anything. Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've, maybe there's a Region 2 DVD. Maybe. Maybe. Um, I like that it, it comes up if you read the plot. It sounds like a, a big game revenge film. It's like, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like exploitation revenge where it's like, I'm going to get revenge on the elephant who killed my friend. Nice. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I'd watch that. Yeah, me too. No, I like sort of big safari. Like, I'm a... I'm a Hatari lover. I think Hatari is. I mean, as much as it's about people capturing animals for zoos, and that's kind of shitty. Um, I like that movie a lot. It's a long movie, but there's something about the uh, environment of that safari setup that I'm just really into. So uh, this one's got Stuart Granger in it, and I don't know too much of the other cast, but um, that's an IB Tech print, also. It certainly is. So it might be the last one in the world on that yeah. one. I, wow. I'm I'm really interested, and then the shootout. Movie. Uh, it looked good. Head toward Gun Hill, all right. Man wants trouble. 
ain't getting in any trouble. Till I find the trouble I want. Are you my father? What kind of a fool question's that? Don't you know? Don't you know he's just an old jailbird and yeller? He is not yeller! Drop that, Lomax! Now you know I don't mess around, Lomax. Now you stand right there till you hear my horse. You move, and she stops moving. Don't push your luck. You gotta kill me and do it! But don't stand there and mock me, not now! Shoot me! Or give me a chance! Come on, you wanna give me a chance? You ready to give him a chance? It says it's ready. Yeah, Gregory Peck stars in this one, and it's a latter era. I want to say it's like early seventies. I think it is seventy. Or yeah, something. yeah, and um, and Gregory Peck. I don't know. He. I just like that sort of older gunman kind of western. You know, just. But he gets stuck with a little girl, I guess, for most of the movie. So it looks. I don't know. It just reminds me of like a Clint Eastwood, uh, Perfect World. Perfect World. Perfect World. Not cool. World. Like that kind of vibe from what I saw of the trailer. I haven't seen it, and I also saw Susan Tyrell's in it. And we, yes. we both love Susan Tyrell. So. Yeah. There was there was definitely a couple other people in it that I recognized. Yeah. I think it's like Henry Hathaway made that right after like True Grit, maybe. So oh, yeah. there maybe you that's go. Why that makes had, sense. Uh, yeah, I didn't initially even recognize his, his name, and then I was like, oh, Cole Northside, 777, and yeah, he's some He's got some a great, great one films. called Five Card Stud mm. that I really like with Dean Martin and uh, Robert Mitchum and Roddy McDowell that mm. I hope the theater plays at some point because it's available in home video, but it's a little sketch. Anyway, I like Henry Hathaway. He's a workman director, not necessarily a stylish guy, but a guy who makes interesting films, and so... This is one of my favorite on this list. Yeah, I hope I we can make that one together because those are two I'd love to talk about. Like once we've seen them, yeah. yeah, that's definitely the deep cut on the calendar for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, which is which is. I mean, honestly, the amount of films I've been inspired on our show to look up that I never even got to see in the theater, but I will have seen the trailer or will have noticed them and couldn't make it, and then I find it years later and it tends to be some of my favorite discoveries have been that way. So even if you don't make it into the theater. Sometimes these films that you you know discover on the calendar stick with you. Um, the next two are super fun. Total change of pace. Uh, fat. We've got a Russ Meyer double. Um, both black and white uh, Meyer films, which is uh, always amazing to see on a big screen because I just think he, he, Russ knew how to shoot movies. I've always thought he's just a fantastic filmmaker. You got Faster Pussycat Kill Kill uh, on the 14th and 15th, uh, and Motor Psycho, which I haven't seen. Uh, which is from 65. Crazy. You know, like Rasputin. Who looks slick? The Brahmin is a very righteous one. The Brahmin is a flip and you know it. Hey, you're real funny, you know? Look, Slick, if you don't dig what's happening, Disneyland is like 200 miles back that way. Oh, don't wig out, man. I'm hip. I'm hip. Were you coming, man? Yeah, all the way. All the way. Uh, I think they're both from the same year. So okay. he made a motorcycle right before Faster Pussycat, and they have a lot of the same uh, themes yeah. and elements. So I think it's going to be a very interesting pairing. A perfect nice. non-PC double feature <laughs> for for our world. We need it. Uh, but I did. I will say, I was telling Brian before you got here, I was like, okay, I looked up the trailer to Motorcycle, and Alex Rocco is one of the is the star, and you know, obviously from the uh, from the Godfather, which ties in later. Spoiler. Uh, and it looked so much fun. Some of the stuff he was saying. If you look up the YouTube clip uh, available for this, it it will probably sell the you on this movie. Yeah. Uh, looks like a good time. But anyway, any ch- chance to see films like that on, on film, especially black and white. I think black and white, I feel like, is a much harder thing to sell to young people on DVD. When they see it, like I, I remember taking a bunch of students to Strangers on a Train when it played at the New Bev on a 35 print, and 
it blows their mind. It just is so beautiful. It, it's and it's so cinematic. I think seeing black and white on a big screen is a big part of that that emotional kind of transportation with cinema, which is cool. I think when you see black and white like in digital cinema, it just doesn't make the same impact because yeah. the black isn't as deep and the contrast right. is poor. So when you see it on film, it looks really striking. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something about Russ Meyer films in general that I are more see it with a crowd kind of movies uh, for me. And I think there's something, I mean, obviously there's an issue in that, you know, his films are not, they're controlled on home video in a weird way and they haven't gotten a lot of Blu-ray releases. And so I feel like that almost invites you to see them, you know, in a repertory situation whenever you can. But I find that it's in the situation, I've seen Faster Pussy Cat at least once in a theater and it was a blast and oh, yeah. you know so i think his movies are designed for, you can watch them alone at home by yourself but uh, of a lot of the movies we're talking about here that's the kind of thing where i think this is just a lot of fun to go and see and the energy will shock you if you haven't seen those films like yeah. the, the way they move and the pace it, they're exciting still and that's, yeah you know um, I know you talked about the runtime on Nightmare for Christmas, uh, yeah. that it was under 80 minutes. So I think both of these are, too. So if you want to yeah. bring your children, then. <laughs> <laughs> Especially Faster Pussycat. <laughs> so yes. good. Uh, yes. Speaking of which, we then moved back to uh, Midnight's uh, on the 14th. Uh, Reservoir Dogs and, and on the big screen again. Another chance to see it. How, how many? Is that three times or just twice? It's the whole month. Right? Okay, whole yeah. month. Every Friday. So we got four Fridays. And then um, a film that I th- last time I saw it was a couple years ago on TV, and I found myself like really emotionally moved. Is the Muppet Christmas Carol? Uh, Michael Caine in that movie really gets to me. There's something about I mean that the Scrooge tale in general, and it's going to come up again, is just to me the perfect Christmas tale. You know, it's any version of this tends to get to me a little bit because of how you can reflect on how you've lived your life and how you're going to live your life. But there's something about Michael Caine in this, and I feel like this was a period where uh, what a year is that? Like mid is it? Late 80s? 92, it says. 92. We're, you know, Michael Caine's not strong period, I think, is like mid-80s to probably mid-90s. And then he gets another a beautiful next act to his career. But there's a period where it seemed like he was just saying yes to everything. And I've always loved Michael Caine. But I feel like watching him in this felt like this is one of those things where he just nailed it. Uh, and and it's just it's just a great version of a Muppet movie, in my opinion. I, I don't know if you're a fan of this one. Yeah, definitely. No, I, this is one of those... Um Muppet movies that I feel like still has a really strong fan base because it's a holiday movie and because it's a Muppet movie. I feel like Michael Caine acts against the Muppets as if they're real, which they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you don't always see that with some yeah. performers. And I think that's what really sells this movie. And he doesn't blink. Don't blink. That's all that matters with Michael <laughs> Caine. That's all you need to know about his acting. Um, yeah, and I mean, after uh, Jaws the Revenge, he had to make another Christmas movie. Hey, so. I love Jaws the Revenge. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Is that another, it's, you're right, but I it's an island, so you can't, yeah. yeah. Junkadoo, that's the festival. <laughs> Never forget Junkadoo. Um, but we're not playing Jaws, so we'll save that for when we are. <laughs> we'll do our deep dive on Jaws 4. Uh, and then we are moving on to... What's that? Oh, we got the midnight. Oh. We got one of your favorites, I think. Yeah. Okay. Psyched about this. I, it's hard to get me out at midnight, but I guarantee you I will be at this midnight. Uh, Lewis Jackson's brilliant, probably my, yeah, my favorite Christmas horror film, uh, Christmas Evil. This Christmas, Santa's <laughs> going to make everyone happy. The grown-ups and the kids. Christmas Evil. The non-believers. <laughs> Watch out! And the screamers. Ah! And this Christmas, 
you better believe in Santa, or he'll slay you. Merry Christmas, Frank. Christmas Evil, the night he dropped in. On the 16th. I think I'm with you. AKA, you better watch out. It it kind of transcends being a horror film because it's definitely less interested in being a horror film than it is in being a just fascinating, artistically made character piece. Uh, Brandon Maggart's the uh, the lead actor, and you know everyone loves find, discovering that it's Fiona Apple's dad. It's like the most exciting thing <laughs> nerds can ever discover. Like, oh my god, did you know that Christmas? Everyone's talking about. It. Um, this is uh, one of John Waters' favorite. It is his favorite Christmas movie. It's also one of his favorite movies ever, and he is largely responsible for rediscovering it, uh, helping it get restored, making sure it got seen by people. Uh, it's the only film Lewis ever made, which is a shame. Um, and just for me, it was the first, when I first got to town, it was the first show I ever did. I, I was starting to try to do a show on horror. And I said to someone, if I could find Lewis Jackson, I would, uh, that would be the best way to start a show ever, talking to Lewis Jackson. And uh, it's a New Beverly connection. It actually, I asked Ant Timpson in New Zealand, and he said, ask Brian Quinn <laughs> of the New Beverly. Brian Quinn sent me an email. Suddenly I had Lewis Jackson, met him for tuna sandwiches and had a great time with him. And it's, it's such a fun movie, but the one story I will share about this is, it's, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, it's, it kickstarts the killer Santa genre, which is going to be relevant as this month goes on. Um, but it, it does it in a way, I mean, it, the opening's almost like, it feels like it's referencing Citizen Kane and all sorts of movies. You know, it's a very high brow in terms of its influences, but the, the really interesting thing about this film is the cinematographer, uh, is Ricardo Aronovich, uh, who had shot films at this point. He had shot a film for Zulowski of uh, Possession fame. He had shot uh, Alan René's uh, Providence. He had shot uh, two films before Louis Malle um, and uh, Raoul Ruiz. Um, and and this is why I love it, because Christmas Evil on the surface seems like it's like another Silent Night, Deadly Night, but the director literally <laughs> saw Providence by René, which is one of his artiest films, and said, yeah, I need that cinematographer. So he like went to France. He brought all his storyboards and showed them to Aronovich and said, you know, you need to do this film. And he was so impressed by the storyboards, he actually came and did it. I mean, that's unusual in that genre, to have a horror film shot by a, a cinematographer like that. And it shows. It, it, it has the best one of the best endings ever. It's a great and ending. I'm not going to talk beyond that. Even if you didn't like this movie, you got to the ending – you would be have no heart to not think that's one of the greatest endings. So um, it's just a lot of fun. And there are some killer Santa moments, but there's also just a lot of strange. Uh, he's a toy maker, which is really interesting. And the toy factory stuff's beautifully made. There's an amazing Santa lineup. <laughs> you don't want to miss the Santa lineup. So this is definitely going to be one of my picks of the month. Uh, very excited uh, that you're showing this one. I can't remember the running time, though, at midnight. It's 94 minutes. Okay, that's good. It, it's a film that feels a little slower because it's not a typical genre piece. Yeah, it's uh, it's dark. Yeah, you're, the comment when I told uh, in an email when I said to Phil, "Oh, I'm so excited about Christmas," he goes, "Yes, it's depressing. I knew you would love that." <laughs> He's about right. Uh, so anyway, don't miss that if you've never heard of this one. That's that's great. And then we're segueing into uh, our more you know uh, classical Christmas movies, right? Yeah. So we got I'm, more Santas. More yep. more Santas. <laughs> December sixteenth and seventeenth, we have Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street and Santa Claus the Movie. And that's the 47 version of Miracle on 34th Street, not the 90s version. Yep. And Santa Claus the movie is the Dudley Moore version <laughs> with John Lithgow as the evil <laughs> uh, corporate entity. I, re- I remember that one being kind of magical. I haven't seen it in 30 years. I remember there being great reindeer scenes, but I, I have no idea what that would be like to see that one again. The movie's pretty interesting. It's yeah. almost split in half where there's like a huge mythic history of Santa Claus in the North Pole and it's 
very fantastical and interesting. And then the second half is the New York Dudley Moore stuff. He, Dudley Moore doesn't even come in until like really far into the movie. And he's but an it's, elf, and, for the record. <laughs> yeah. And uh, John Lithgow is like an evil toy conglomerate yeah. uh, guy. It's, he's got ideas on how to do it better, right? Yeah. Like how the mass production can be improved, which is quite funny to me. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, yeah. Santa Claus the movie is almost like a double feature in itself. Yeah. Wow. I always remember it as one of the other movies that Jean Ozark directed. So it's like Jaws oh, 2, yeah. Somewhere in Time, Santa Claus the Movie, <laughs> Supergirl. You know, like this guy's got a really interesting yeah, filmography. interesting, yeah. yeah. I think it might even be the same producers as uh, Supergirl. It's oh, definitely nice. like okay, that team. Um, and that is also my film print, so I'm very excited. I'll oh, tell everybody that. Nice. I'm a big fan. The movie's very strange, but... No, you got me You got me excited to see it, because it's one of those that I I don't know if I've seen it in, like, 20 years. Like, it's I, really been a long I've time. I've seen it once in theaters when I was a kid, I think, and that's it. But I like this, like, segmented idea, like, weird Christmas movies. That's my favorite kind of stuff, so oh, yeah. I'm kind of um, into it. Yeah, and then Miracle on 34th Street is kind of yeah. traumatic to me, because uh, when I was in fifth grade, I acted in a play for the first time, and I was going from no prior stage experience to the starring role in Miracle on the 34th Street. So I had to memorize all of Kris Kringle's lines and uh, act jolly. So it... uh, So you watch it, it's like... PTSD for you. It's Yes. Um, But this is is a classic. I I do recommend it. It's a beautiful film. But it's... uh, Hard for me personally. And there's not a lot of court cases with Santa, you know. I feel like we Kids don't get enough courtroom dramas courtroom with Santa. Scenes. Yeah, Kids exactly. are big into that. Yeah, 12 Angry Santas. I like that. <laughs> I'm into it. I would watch that. <laughs> but then, no, that's a good, that'll be a good double. We've feature. got an Angry Santa later, which is actually one of my favorite movies on the oh, calendar. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this is actually, this next little period, there's there's like a few really great Christmas movies here in a row. Uh, okay, so then we get our Grindhouse double. This is a, this one has become one of the staples of the theater. I saw this double two years ago, I think it was. I know it changes sometimes which films go with it, but we're talking Black Christmas uh, by Bob Clark and Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, I think we've done that specific double for the past four years. Um, but Black Christmas has been uh, a tradition at the theater um, and the long-running Grindhouse uh, uh, shows. They've been doing it for at least 10 or 11 years, so they've probably even been doing it longer than that. Every year, it's kind of the their signature show. It's probably my favorite show of the year. Nice. It, it, um, the print just, you showed last time was one of the best prints I've ever seen. Yeah, and, it's and that a, film just looked glorious. A fantastic restoration, like on film, and it looks great. But it's a great time where all the grindhouse maniacs that yeah. come to the New Bev throughout the year they all convene on that one show, and it's kind of like a like a, a family gathering. So we all say uh, goodbye before everyone goes home for Christmas. <laughs> There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. Hello? Hey, Mommy. Hey, baby. Baby, all right, Mom. Who's there? It's a great 
great. Black Christmas is just a great, great movie. And this is the perfect year to see it again because I just feel like with an, a new Halloween coming out, it's always good for people to remember that film that came before the original Halloween mm-hmm. and, and set this up. And it's actually scary. Like, uh, you know, I, I love the original Halloween formally. I think it's just one of the most beautiful movies. But it doesn't really scare me, unnerve me. This film still actually unnerves me because we never see it, because he's hidden, he's a voice. You just you forget that you're not going to see him. And there's something that's a little more insidious about the structure of this movie. It's it, Bob Clark's a hell of a filmmaker. When he was, when he, this row of, a uh, streak of films he had in this, this certain period, I think is really strong. We're going to be seeing another classic by him coming out. Um, yeah, and then we can't overlook Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is probably the most un-PC. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Rapey Santa at the start, that's disturbing. It, it's, it's pretty extreme. I oh, mean, yeah. certainly people protested it, got it that's pulled right. from theaters when it came out in uh, 84 or whatnot, but it is out of control. Yeah. Um, and possibly one of my favorite kinder trauma moments in any p- movie is Grandpa going, you better run, boy. You better run for your life. I find that to be the way he's meant to be like in a coma or something, and then he just springs to life, tells the kid, and then goes back to, it's just, that's a scary fucking scene. Wow. It's really just quite disturbing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen you know one of those, definitely. I remember that being one of my favorite uh, screenings at this theater, was seeing those two together. But sometimes you change the second film, right? I think I think for the last four years, it's always been those okay. two. But uh, before that, when it was just uh, the... Grand House Film Festival, mm-hmm. Brian Quinn and uh, Eric Caden, when they were doing their shows for years, it was always Black Christmas as the A feature, and then they would switch out the B feature. So sometimes it'd be Silent Night, Deadly Night. Sometimes it would be Silent Night, Bloody Night, and things like yeah. that. But we've solidified it. It is now just going to be Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly cool. Night going forward. Cool. Awesome. Good stuff. Uh, then on December 19th and 20th, we have Christmas Vacation and Scrooged couple um latter day classics yeah i mean i mean christmas vacation is a lot of fun that's that's one i i probably i've seen the least of all the vacation films but it's a lot of oh well, besides vegas <laughs> let's caveat not need the remake yeah yeah uh, i oh, yeah, still haven't seen true. the remake yeah i haven't okay, actually seen thanks. it either uh but let's just i have to say scrooged might be the christmas movie for me i mean it may be for our generation i don't know for me that movie doesn't that every time i see it 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 makes me laugh. It's Dick Donner. It's brilliantly made. Again, it's the same stories what we were just talking about more or less with the uh, the Scrooge story. But man, Bill Murray, it, God, he is so a much, top form in that movie. So much good stuff. The Have you tried Staples? Uh, <laughs> the towel <Car> jacking. <laughs> that fake commercial that starts oh, it off. Oh, that is great. It, yeah. What's the what's the there uh, I wrote it down. Oh, the night the reindeer died. Oh, yes. Starring Lee Majors. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I want to see that movie. That is you know what? For a long time I got that cross with Santa Claus in the movie, so that what I thought of <laughs> I was like, Lee Majors is in that right? No, no, no. That's the That's fake a dream. Movie. It's a Scrooge. Dream. But also, um, just the whole towel VHS thing is oh, pretty yeah. great. Oh, <laughs> when yeah. he's going through his gift list and deciding who's winning. That's where he feels that movie, I mean, he's Bill Murray's got tons of great but that one feels like he's the biggest movie star. There's something about him being in this big Christmas movie and the character's bigger than life and he's running. There's something about him that I feel like, wow, that's Bill Murray at really one of his finest roles and it's, it just doesn't age. I, I showed it uh, to some young people just a couple years ago and I was amazed how they, none of them had heard of it. That's why I picked it at Christmas and they're all just blown away. And so it's nice when these movies actually still deliver after a long time. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty great. Yeah, and comedies in a group audience oh, is yeah. just the best. Yeah, and which means on. Christmas Vacation. Some of those gags, with sight gags, will probably play really well there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. It's been a while since I've seen that one, though. Uh, super fun double there. So then uh, are we the uh, 21st and 22nd? Yep, that's okay. where we're at. Okay, so It's a Wonderful Life 
and A Christmas Story, another couple. And back to Bob Clark. Yeah. I'm going to reveal something that I don't talk about very much here. Uh, I only saw It's a Wonderful Life for the first time two years ago. Really? And it was one of those things where I just, it's, you know, sometimes in your head something's almost a cliche before you even see it. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the images, and, and I was like, yeah, no, I'll see it one day. And, you know, kind of just, and it was, it was Christmas Eve, and I watched it. And it was one of the best films I've ever seen in my life. Like, I couldn't believe how it so just good. reduced me to, You're like, still crying. It's still crying inside. No, it really, it really was one of those things. I don't know what it was. I, I think certain old films, you have an aversion because you almost feel like you've seen it, even though you have not seen totally. it. And so, so I'm only admitting that because if there's anyone out there who's kind of like, eh, yeah, I'll see it one day. It's a brilliantly made movie. And the filmmaking is really yeah, good. That's what I, I mean, means. one thing I love about Goodfellas, to tie it back, is there's some great freeze frames in Goodfellas. There's some great freeze frames in It's a Wonderful Life. Some of my favorite freeze frames that that just come out of the way they the framing device. I won't spoil it, but they set it up so that the movie kind of pauses while some people talk over what's happening, and I love that. It was one of the first times I think I'd ever seen a freeze frame in a movie, which is a stylistic device I wish was used a little bit more mm. because when used well, I think it's really effective. So, yeah, I think for any movie here, uh, It's a Wonderful Life is the movie that I most associate with the holidays so yeah. i feel like it yeah. can't be christmas without that just it airing on tv every year the whole my whole growing up um seeing it in gremlins you know yeah. Oh, uh, yeah it's it's just the embodiment of the holidays for me and then yet the, yet the other film that people i think the other majority would probably say that about is a christmas story yeah, yeah. two of the bo- most seminal classic. yeah and the thing but about for a christmas a reason. Though, well the thing about christmas story that's interesting i think when i was a kid I just assumed it was from the time period it's set in. It took me a long time to realize it was a modern film about the past because it feels just so authentic to that time period. It nails it. I think it wasn't until I went to a horror film and was sitting next to the redhead kid who had grown up. I was like, oh, my God, I'm sitting next to the bully. The guy put his tongue on the frosting. But it's it's a brilliant film. And Bob Clark's range there is very – I mean, it's just strange that it's the same director of Death Dream, you know? It, that touch, that lightness of tone, is it's a remarkable movie. I have a leg lamp in my house, oh, I'm nice. just saying. And I want to just point out yeah. to all the listeners out there that The New Beverly loves it if you haven't seen a movie before. So please come watch those oh, yeah. movies for the first time with us. There's oh, yeah. nothing That'd better be than best, watching yeah. a movie for the first time on the big screen. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Really we we won't judge you. Yeah, no, no, this is really inclusive, and it is the be- that's part of the reason we're doing this whole thing is because it's about encouraging people to go to the theater to see these because... I don't know. I I think it, you do it more than I do, and mm. I wish I did. You like to save things. Yeah, I mean, because I, I I don't know. I, when I was younger, I was definitely a completist, and I, now I almost try to save one film by any director I love to not see it straight away. So there's something to look forward to. But especially if I get a chance to see it on a big screen, yeah. uh, I still haven't seen Once Upon a Time in America because only because I want to see it on a screen. It's the only reason. Otherwise, I would have rushed to see it. It's just one of those movies I'm holding back. That's Maybe good. the new Beverly will play it one day. Not in December. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't know because... uh, Because we're not through it yet? (laughs) No, because the Saturday, December 22nd, we have a midnight double feature. So we have... I can think of nothing better to play with Eric Freeman's Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 than Sergi Leone's (laughs) three-hour classic. So yeah, we're talking Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, uh, which is... Largely Silent Night, Deadly Night 1, and (laughs) Eric Freeman. (laughs) It is... The most clever recycling of footage <laughs> yeah. ever released on an unsuspecting public. 
yeah. plus one of the greatest performances in psychotronic cinema. Absolutely. It is, and the reason YouTube exists. Uh, I feel like there's no point of YouTube except to have put the garbage day clip up and shared it with millions of humans who had never been aware of this film otherwise. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing. So. Yeah. And enigmatic. I mean, I guess there's a little. Obviously, now things have changed, but you know, for years after the popularity of that started coming back, the lead actor was you know no one knew what had happened to Eric Freeman, and so it's only in the last you know year, I guess. I think that the New Beverly screened it a couple years ago, and Uh, I think he actually made a surprise stop by. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we ended up interviewing probably maybe a few months after that uh, on Shockwaves, the other podcast I do, him uh, and the lead from. The original Silent Night. We got was them that together. Was it Shockwaves or Killer PV? It was Shockwaves, I think. Okay, yeah, good. and and it was the neither of them had really even. That was a good episode. Like they, so we got them together on air, and it felt really exciting. But it, it, it's like interesting because Eric Freeman, he, you know, he's an interesting, smart guy. So it was just interesting to talk about how he came across. I mean, this movie has to be seen in a theater. Has to be seen with other humans. You no matter what we say, <laughs> you are not prepared. You are not no. prepared. Um, but I'm very excited because we're going to add, as our little Christmas bonus to you, we're adding a, a movie after that. So it'll be a top secret, unannounced movie. Um, all I'll say is that it's not any of the other movies that's playing this month. Um, it could be Once Upon a Time in America, <laughs> yeah. but it's probably more likely that it's going to be another holiday horror movie. Nice. Oh, so probably not the Leone film. Okay, but he didn't throw Anything's possible. So, you know. I'm Why didn't keep... he do more holiday horror? Uh, he should have. He would have been virtuoso if he had. Uh, I am a big fan of, uh, you know, that series in general. Let's just take a moment to talk about Silent Light, Deadly Night while we're here. <laughs> because I, I, I made it I, every year for the last four years, I think, on, on Chuck Boys, I watched one of the ones I hadn't seen. So I just, you know, there's only five. Uh, and I actually think they... They almost get better as they go. I think five's genius. Wait, I think, think five's amazing. Three is better than two? Come on. Uh, I'm not bagging on three. I'm just uh, saying. I mean, is... three's the least in some ways. Well, four is bes- <laughs> I mean, I mean, Brian Yuzna's is a very strange and very non-wintery film <laughs> set in L.A. You wouldn't even know it's a part of this franchise, really, because it's about witches. <laughs> <laughs> Which is strange, but Five's like the toy maker, uh, Martin Kit Rosser, and it's uh, it's an interesting film. But they are just they're so different. It, you, I can't think of another franchise where each movie is so radically different, except for two, barring half of one. <laughs> but it's but they're fun, and it's a fun thing to kind of go through. So uh, maybe it'll be one of them. Maybe it'll be uh, there's Silent Night, Bloody Night. There's millions of you know. There's still quite a few. We, we get for me. Uh, don't. It's not. It's Jaws four. Wait, wait. Oh, damn it. Uh, yeah, I guess it could be a stealth one. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, uh, anyway, that's going to that's gonna be a fun night. So uh, bonus film and go and back towards the Kitty Matinee. Kidnet, Kitty Matinee, December 22nd and 23rd, we have Jingle All the Way. Every holiday season, there's one toy everyone has to have. I want the Turbo Man action figure with the arms and legs that move, and the Rock and Roll jetpack, and the Boomerang shooter. Getting it is every child's dream. Whoever doesn't can be a real loser. Finding it. You got the doll, right? Is this father's nightmare. I'll get that toy. I promise. Whoa! Nothing like waiting till the last minute, I would say. Especially on Christmas Eve. take that phil yeah what what do you have to say about jingle all the way phil i'm actually a big fan of jingle okay. all the way have you, know you have you has either not, of you seen it i've you know what i've seen it but boy oh boy has it been a long time oh, yeah. and i'm not yeah. in any way disparaging jingle all the way i just don't remember it i remember a couple crazy shots of arnold flying through the air and that's really 
that I can remember about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, what is the premise of it again? I'm just The premise is that Arnold didn't do what he was supposed to do. He didn't go out and get the toy that his son wanted for Christmas. And now he is making a last-minute dash to go get the Turbo Man doll in <laughs> time right. for the holidays. Turbo Man bad. But, of course, you know, it's a sort of Cabbage Patch Kids. Uh, everyone's looking for it. No one's got it. Yeah. Um, it gets crazy. So their Sinbad plays a fellow father looking for the doll and they their combat sort of escalates throughout the movie as they both try to get the doll nice um but it's it's a short film it's like a 20 minute film right (laughs) (laughs) wait that's a feature it's a feature and uh it has the it's the screen debut of uh the poorly maligned jake lloyd uh but he's uh really good in it from you know uh, Star Wars movies. Does and he play the kid? Yep. Oh, that's great. That's him right there on the, the calendar. You can't quite oh tell. Oh my gosh, look at uh, that. But Sinbad's really funny in it. I don't think Sinbad gets uh, enough love. Uh, Phil Hartman plays like the neighbor uh, who is Hartman. like, you know, maybe macking on uh, Arnold's wife played by Rita Wilson. <laughs> it's, the cast is really good. So wait, is this a prequel to House Guest or post? <laughs> Because that had um, Phil Hartman and Sinbad too, right? Yeah. So it's a little, it's it's a shared universe thing. I think it's a Marvel thing, is what we're talking about, basically. Well, that sounds no. Good. This that actually sounds like a lot of fun to me. To be to be honest, there's something about that sort of '90s period Arnold that I find when I'm going back to now, I'm enjoying them way more than I. You know what part of it is? Is I was a hard not hardcore, but I was in my video store years in the mid to late '90s, and so. Any movie that came out that was the big movie, I was just kind of like, ah, whatever. I didn't want to hear about it. Everybody's renting it. I didn't care. And I think that has blind spotted me. Like, I've seen it, but I haven't watched it for years because of whatever associations I had with it at that time. But that sounds really enjoyable to me right now, and I want to go and show my daughter is what I'm saying. Yeah, and uh, (laughs) last year we did uh, an overnight marathon of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies for his 70th birthday. It was called Arnold All Night. And uh, the lineup for that was top secret. And uh, (laughs) all people did was say, they gave me a list of the movies that they wanted to see. And they're like, just don't play any of his comedies. Don't play any of his comedies. People were like, going to get really angry if I played any of his comedies. So, of course, we opened with Predator. People were very amped. But then we went Predator directly into Kindergarten Cop. Which I actually really like Kindergarten Cop. Yeah. And uh, all the people who asked not to play an Arnold comedy, loved it more than anything. It actually (laughs) brought down the house. It was probably the most successful movie movie. of of the night. And uh, I think that he has uh, a good comic touch. I think you're right, actually. I think his comedies, and that might be part of what's going on in my head is there's this, there was this idea of Arnold comedies are bad in the nineties. I remember back then. And I feels like obviously still now people think that, but yeah, there's a he's got a lot of stuff that I think that is Twins in, is fun too. Yeah, he's yeah. he's done some funny st- I don't know about Junior, but he's done some really good <laughs> comedies that I like actually. Now that I think about it. Now now Phil's going to program Junior because of you. Thanks. No, maybe. <laughs> maybe we'll break out the Junior trailer put to play before Jingle all the way. Yeah. There I'm, we go. Uh, I'm excited, but you also have to remember that we're three old guys. <laughs> um, but you know, there's younger families now, and yeah, there's yeah. people who were kids when this movie came out, and now they have kids themselves, and they want to take them to that, and maybe that'll be the way for uh, a new dad to tell his child that he does not have the gift that <laughs> he wanted for Christmas. He was the guy who was governor. He's going to tell the kids. That's wild. No, uh, it seems uh, like a different world. Of the Kitty Midnights. Actually, I mean the Kitty, kitty Mid- Midnights. <laughs> I love that idea. we got to have a Kitty Midnight section where it's just midnight <laughs> movies for children. Uh, of the Kitty Matinees. Actually, I love all of them, but that's definitely one that I'm, I, I might uh, 
I don't know. My my kid is hard to get out of the house, but really? yeah, she oh. doesn't like to go out. Oh, okay. She's a homebody. Uh, well, she'll also, go out uh, the house for next one. One last thing about the yeah. kitty matinees here is uh, I'm excited about this month because uh, though Quentin programmed entirely the front of the calendar, except for that Hong Kong hitman, which was suggested by Brian Quinn, Grindhouse Film Festival, who works at the theater. Uh, he asked for suggestions on the, the kitty matinees, so we made those suggestions. Okay, great. Nice. Well, and there's one to come that... Is obviously one no. Of the I think they're films. all great. I'm, I'm really um, into okay. This is a double that I, I will definitely uh, hand over to Brian. This is one that um, you know, uh, Christmas Die Hard is one of the ultimate uh, Christmas movies. I have never been in LA for the last like six years for this time period, and that means I've missed this. And I've always wanted to. This will be the first year I'm actually in town. But it's partnered with a film that I saw the trailer for the, for the first time a few years ago at the uh, New Bev and have wanted to see ever since. And you brought it up on a early Pearson episode. I don't yeah, I can't remember when. which one. I'll have to look Maybe and see. Maybe a crime film or something. And that is a film called The Silent Partner. The Silent Partner has your number. And now your number is up. Who is this? Now that's the beautiful part of it, isn't it? I know who you are, but you're in the dark. And one night when you come home, you'll find me on the inside, waiting for you. And that'll be the night you'll wish you'd never been born. I love The Silent Partner. Um, this might be my... I, the Hathaway is definitely one I'm really intrigued by, but this might be my pick of the month, is this double of Die Hard and The Silent Partner, because I, I love Die Hard. Die Hard's great, and I haven't seen it in the theater in a long time, so that would be a lot of fun. But The Silent Partner is... <laughs> one of the darkest, craziest, most fucked up Christmas movies that you're ever going to see. And uh, I don't want to spoil too much because I know you haven't seen it. Phil, are you a fan of Silent Partner? I am a huge fan. Christopher Plummer is absolutely terrifying scary. in that oh movie. God. I was just describing it to my coworkers today. I'm like, yeah, it's the dad from Sound of Music, but you'd never know. He's so, he's so, he is terrifying, like you said. Unbelievably scary in this movie, and the great Elliot Gould. Yeah, and it's prime time Elliot Gould. There's a short bit with John Candy that's a little fun, but yeah, it's 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 dark stuff. So it's basically from what I could get, it's a guy who works at a bank, and he and somebody's coming to like, what's the intersection of the crime? Is is he is he an inside man? Is Elliot Gould? He works at the bank, okay, and he kind of gets a tip that the bank is going to be robbed, and he makes a decision about something he's going to do. And it ends up entangling him with the robber. And, and they the, end up going face to face. Kind of, but it's it goes dark. It goes real dark. Yeah, no, that 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 I have to. If I'm in town, probably on the 23rd, I, I want to see those two together because that's that's the way to see that film. So I'm yeah, excited. I can't recommend enough. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will come out for Die Hard, but stay for The Silent Partner because you will not regret it. It may be one of your favorite movies you'll see this year. It's so good. Yeah, I could not agree more. I am a massive fan. Big double feature. Uh, and then we uh, get in some classic comedies. Uh, so this is actually. Christmas Day, right? Christmas morning, I guess? December 25th, yeah. So yeah, it's like a Christmas afternoon, so you can wake up and uh, open gifts and then head on over. Yeah, March of the Wooden Soldiers and Horse Feathers. Uh, So we have Laurel and Hardy and uh, a Marx Brothers film. One of my favorite Marx Brothers films. One of the best Marx Brothers films. As you know, there is constant warfare between the red and white corpuscles. Now then, baboons, what is a corpuscle? That's easy. First as a captain, then as a lieutenant, then as a corpuscle. That's fine. Why don't you bore a hole in yourself and let the sap run out? Uh, and there's a Joe Dante uh, podcast right now, uh, movies that 
made me Movies the trailer for how um and he keeps every time marx brothers comes up he gives the same analogy and i and it, and it really stuck with me uh and this is a reason to leave your homes but he says you know one of the problems with the marx brothers movies at home is what the marx brothers did is they took all their films on the road and tested them with audiences before finalizing the cuts and they gave extra space right after every joke because everyone's laughing over the jokes otherwise and so when you watch it at home you're seeing these strange pauses, and it just isn't the same. And he said, if any reason to see Marx Brothers, and I, I've really very rarely watched Marx Brothers at home, but the times I've seen them in theaters, they're some of the most effective comedies I've ever seen in my life. They're amazing. I, I'll yeah. watch them anywhere, anytime, but the ones I've seen in theaters are a blast yeah. every time. So, uh, and, and I feel like I've seen March of the Wooden Soldiers when I was younger because it's Laurel and Hardy, but they're also they're characters in this Christmas tale. Like they're That's one I haven't seen. Phil, are you a fan of that one? Uh, yeah, you know, I actually haven't seen it. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm curious it's, it's about a color it. I know it's a classic, film? but a color film? Yeah, okay. unless it's colorized. I think it's black and white. Okay. Oh, really? Okay, maybe I saw, I, I might have seen a trailer that was colorized. Um, it could, I could be wrong on that. But anyway, it looked, it looked interesting, and it looked different than their other work. It looked more manic, and there looked like to be like a lot of characters and a lot of Christmas stuff, Santa. So I, that could be a great way to introduce kids to these movies. Yeah, no, but um, Horse Feathers is top three. Mm, yeah. Duck Soup and Animal Crackers and Horse Feathers yeah. are my three, I think my three favorites. But So the kids enjoy those. Yeah, I think that'll be a, a very entertaining uh, uh, double, uh, give good vibes for Christmas. And then at night we're going to be doing the Hateful Eight. So uh, every year now uh, we're doing that as a very Tarantino Christmas uh, celebration. And it's, it's cool. snowy. It uh, has Kurt Russell, who's playing Santa Claus this year, so that <laughs> connects. So I think it all it all lines up. I know nothing about this new Kurt Russell Santa film. I don't either. Film, I just saw a billboard for it today. Yeah. I just, I just keep seeing it. all the gifs online. So uh. <laughs> He looks great. Uh, I'd watch him do that anytime. But I, so I think this is justified. So uh, yeah, I still think uh, the dialogue of The Hateful Eight is some of the best written dialogue I've seen in years. So uh, that's something that sticks really stuck with me about that film. So yeah, this would be fun, but not for the kids. It's yeah. a dark movie. It's a very dark movie. It, it is. Indeed. I think it's very uh, appropriate for our times. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, but also, I if if anybody out there is listening, I highly encourage you to come that if you're a fan. Uh, every year we do something special. So yeah. that oh, will yeah. be a special what, show. What, what, so you, like, give us an example of what you might have done in the past, not what you're doing in the future. Maybe but. people can go on the internet and look it up. Okay. Oh. Maybe I'll be cryptic. Very okay. special. Fine, yeah. Very special. But yeah. I, would, I would suggest coming. I think people, if you're a fan, definitely it'll be a good one. Okay, cool. cool. Um, then on December 26th and 27th, we have a George Papard double. We have Breakfast at Tiffany's and uh, the last IB Tech print of a film called What's So Bad About Feeling Good, which is another one I could find jack shit online. Yeah, yeah that movie has never been available on home video, though we've run it a couple times. Uh, it's kind of a new Bev favorite. Nice. It's got a wild premise. It says Can you tell new... us anything about it? Because oh, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't really, I mean, Not I could much. look up the summary, but I... It is uh, set in New York and basically a virus spreads and it causes people... <laughs> to want to do good and of course in oh you're not kidding no in in america (laughs) that uh if everybody's trying to do good that does not work out for everyone yeah, and it's George Papard. You know, wow, it's George Papard. And, is it a hippie movie? Because I thought I saw George Papard with like a crazy beard. And well, it. he, uh, you know, gets happy or whatnot. But Mary Tyler Moore is immune, so uh, it complicates their relationship. Oh, interesting! Wow. Uh, and there's totally a connector to a previous classic that is showing George Seaton, the director, did Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. 
Wow. So that saying I did not know until <laughs> researching. No, I'm really, the, I'm but. always into the, you know, can't see them anywhere kind of oh, thing. Yeah. Like that's one of my biggest, like I love to see things with a crowd that I've seen, but if it's something I can't see, I'm almost, especially now, because I feel like so many movies are available, like especially if you have a, not, a region-free Blu-ray player, most stuff you can get your hands on. But the ones that he's showing here that, I, you know, the last safaris and the, you know, what's so bad about being feeling goods, I'm really motivated, you know, because it's a long haul for me to come out to the theater. And uh, but I've always found I've, I've seen a ton of movies at this theater that were things I'd never been able to see before. And I kind of have a warm, fuzzy feeling about the theater because of it. It's a gateway in that respect. And a perfect way to see classics. I mean, like Breakfast at Tiffany or It's a Wonderful Life. If this, if this um, is the first time you see something, it will really stick with you. Breakfast I mean, at Tiffany's, I, yeah. I can take her. If it's your first time seeing Breakfast yeah. at Tiffany's, knows there's some uh, uh, uncomfortable elements in it that do not play very well in 2018. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, do you know if it's a good print of that one? Uh, it's a studio print. should so, look yeah, fantastic. Great. Movie, yeah. Great. Okay. So that'll be interesting double. Um, and then December 28th and 29th. Uh, this is maybe the thing I most want to attend. I'm pretty psyched <laughs> about this, too. Yeah, especially because the, the second one, I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, Who it's knows? fun, dude. With Michael Camp, but yeah. So it's the Poseidon Adventure and Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Perfect New Year's Eve fair. I like uh, it. New Year's Day. Uh, yeah, the first one's, I think, best disaster film. It's definitely up It's there. up there. I like Towering Inferno a lot. I'm kind of a huge... No, but this is Hackman. No, no, no. I, I'm with you. so good. I'm 100%. It's, it's I even more, like the remake of this one, actually. For oh, me, yeah. the, 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 the trilogy is Earthquake, yeah. Poseidon, Towering Inferno. Mm-hmm. Those are the yeah. best ones. I like all... I mean, I like When Time Ran Out. I like all the shitty, you know... But yeah. it's one of the best. And Beyond is one that almost nobody has seen. I feel like people don't watch Beyond that much. I think people don't know it exists. Yeah. But we've been yeah. playing it the past few years, and I feel like more people have stuck around each year. So I think nice. there is a lot to enjoy in it. The cast is also fantastic. Yeah, I see Michael Caine, Sally Field, Telly Savalas again, Peter Boyle, Jack Warden. It's great. Um, Slim Pickens. Uh, but the part that I liked reading about it is often, you know, a sequel will be the event happening again a la Die Hard. Same thing. In this, I love that it's taking place to the same ship and it's a bunch of people going to like rob it yeah. and scavenge from the uh, the accident and then there's plutonium thrown in <laughs> and my, as soon as I read that I was like yes and, and Michael Caine so a billion dollar treasure a deadly cargo of plutonium and 11 trapped survivors that porthole is going to go at any moment gotta find another way out of here right now Dude, you oh know. man, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, no, I think of all these. I think this is. I mean, besides the Die Hard song part, I'm kind of. I really want to see these together. I, I, I hope I can make this one of all these shows because that just seems. I mean, it must be long. I, I always think of Poseidon as kind of a longer movie. Maybe maybe it's not. Maybe it's just on two hours. You know, just so much good happens in it. I know. Yeah, and just so many people in it. But anyway, that's gonna be a lot of fun. Great it, way to bring in the new year. Yeah, and that Beyond the Poseidon Adventure print, ultra rare. Okay. Um, it's oh, a nice that. print from the UK. It's oh, gonna cool. look fantastic. Nice. All right, cool. I really hope we can make that one. Um, and then we're back to some, uh, we got a Reservoir Drugs again on the 28th at midnight. Uh, and then the Kitty Matinee, if you want to ruin your kid's <laughs> life. And if they love Santa, you have to miss this, unfortunately. <laughs> or you could cover their ears for one scene and you'll be fine. And that is 
one of the greatest movies ever made, Gremlins, on the 28th and 29th, Joe Dante's Gremlins, which if it didn't have that one scene where they explain uh, how her father died and how it ruined Christmas forever, which is a great scene. A scene that they fought to keep uh, in the movie. And I'm so glad and they I'm, did. Me, exactly. I'm and it's s- what makes Dante the subversive filmmaker he is. He's Absolutely. always been that way, and this film shows it. But it's also just a great movie. It's a great Christmas movie, uh, and it hasn't aged a day. I, I, I can't wait to show my kids it, but I, I, I think I could do it on DVD first just so I could skip that scene but i'd love to go to the theaters too you know uh so much fun absolutely i feel like you gotta squeeze the trauma in at the end of the year (laughs) so yeah get it in there (laughs) but but the good thing is it's not a kid's film you can take kids to it but it's it's a it's a film for the young at heart it's such a good film to watch at any age it's yeah absolutely so much fun um and then uh on saturday december 29th new year's evil at midnight i just got one thing to say about this movie he's going to commit murder (laughs) You've got to murder at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> On the one night they were celebrating New Year's Eve, he was out ending their life. I'm going to commit murder at midnight. <laughs> one terrifying night of unspeakable evil. New Year's Evil. It's it's one of my... I love canon uh, films more than anything, and this is one of their absolute best. It It is is totally batshit Great premise. Like the premise of going from each time zone and killing someone is really smart. I understand the premise, but when you're watching, you're like, this (laughs) still makes no sense. I'm uh, very impressed. I just remember the voice, his voice, whenever he calls in. It's a great Um, mask. It's a simple mask, but it's a great mask and a great voice. And I think... And then some weird punk scene stuff that's so... I don't know how it's authentically to the scene. So yeah, the premise of the movie is that there is a murder... Er, killing people um, as the clock strikes 12 in each of the time zones. And our heroine is on the West Coast, and she's a TV host doing kind of a Dick Clark New Year's New Wave Eve. New Wave Punk, yeah. And uh, he is uh, going, he's coming for her. um, And he torments her via the phone, sort of uh, similar to Black Christmas. But it's not quite on that level of quality, <laughs> but it is fun. It is a blast. And seeing it with a crowd, I imagine, would be I've crazy. never seen it with a crowd. Yeah. So that's It ridiculous. plays gangbusters. Uh, okay. Every time the, the killer calls in and <laughs> declares his intent to commit murder, <laughs> it is uh, something that you just have to hear. Nice. Uh, and then we're closing out the month uh, with the little movie, uh, The Godfather, on the 30th and 31st. Uh, and... Uh, that's an interesting one to double feature because it's it's an epic. I mean, it's maybe two and a half hours. I guess it's so. it's nearly three. It'll yeah, definitely yeah. it'll be yeah. probably three after we play the trailers in a cartoon at the start. Yeah, and it, I assume this is a great print. I believe so. I, yeah. think, I haven't seen it, but I know that the Valachi Papers, which is our final mm-hmm. IB I Tech print of the night. Yep, one uh, more of the IB month. Tech print. Yeah, Valachi Papers, very cool. This is the way I will die. If I betray the secret of the Cosa Nostra. Only here, in New York, will be different. Because we are so many, we'll be five families. What about Maria, my kid, huh? Wherever she wants to go, I give you my personal guarantee that she will get there safely with a new name, a new passport, and enough money for the rest of her life. 
A film that dares expose the behind the scenes of organized crime. A terrifying indictment. A chilling accusation. A documented drama of real events. You die by the knife and the gun. Uh, Terrence Young directed, right? He did a lot of the Bond films, right? Uh, a good run of Connery Bond films from and Wait Until Dark, I think. Oh, yeah. um, and so I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen the Valachi Papers, but it's uh, Bronson marked in prison. It seems like. Uh, and what's based the, on a true story? Is this a yeah? It's based story? on a, a mob hitman who turned state's evidence basically mm. and testified about what was really happening in uh, the Cosa Nostra. Mm. Uh, he went in front of the Senate and talked to them. Hmm. Uh, but if you haven't seen The Godfather, it is the film by which all others are compared. Yeah. Um, though if you look at the Valachi Papers poster, original theatrical poster, they came out. they came out within months of each other. Uh, there's just a huge quote that says it's better than The Godfather. So <laughs> oh no, no, it's, it's even better than that. I, I wrote this one down because it actually made me laugh because I'm like, now I'm so happy you're going to get to decide. It says it's not as good as The Godfather. It's better. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is the perfect chance to make that choice. <laughs> yeah, so you can decide. Yeah, I mean, what a great double. Uh, have you seen Velocci? I have. Okay, do you like Velocci? I do. Okay, cool. I got, I've, again, I, I, I've, it's one of those titles. It was recently on Blu-ray, right? Yeah, uh, Twilight Time put Twilight it Twilight Time, yeah. And I was telling you over dinner, a uh, friend of the show, Steve Scarlatta, is a big Velocci Papers fan, mm. I believe. So yeah, you've got I, what two or three uh, chances at Bronson this month. Yeah, this is uh, Velocci Papers is certainly not as action packed as the family, but uh, yeah. if you like Senate testimony, then <laughs> and I do, you are in for so that a treat. miracle on thirty fourth mixed with Velocci, you get a little uh, Christmas and gangster uh, trial. So yeah, so th- I love that we went Christmas and gangster for a lot of this. Uh, so do we uh, do? Let's put the round table your pick if you're picking. One show, your must-see show. Obviously, we want people to go to much more than one, but if you have one that you wanted to highlight. <sighs> yeah, I think I'm going to go Die Hard Silent Partner, like I said. I think that's the one. What about you? I have to say the Black Christmas Silent Night, Deadly Night, it's always the best show of the year. Yeah. This is a tough one. I mean, I think uh, the Hathaways are obviously going to be for people who want to see something they're never going to see. But I'm going to go for the Poseidon Adventure uh, and Beyond the Poseidon just because I haven't seen that sequel and I'm kind of dying to now. So, uh I, I'm, I am happy with this calendar, though. So yeah. I think that if anybody calendar. just throws a dart at, at here, yeah. you're going to find a good show. Yeah, and also just of the of the kids and the midnights. Oh, well, what am I talking about? Christmas Evil. Sorry, I, I retract everything. <laughs> Go to Christmas Evil. Don't miss that film on the big screen. Um, just as a rundown, because uh, I'm a nerd and I like this stuff, the IB Tech Prince, again, playing this month, Machine Gun McCain on Saturday, the, the sorry, the 7th and 8th, uh, then there is an Ivy Tech print of The Last Safari on the 12th and 13th. There is Ivy Tech of What's So Bad About Feeling Good on the 26th and 27th. And the Vlachi Papers, Ivy Tech on the 30th and 31st. Did I miss one, Phil? I no, that's I think right. that's all okay. of them. And because I'm a nerd, uh, I want to run down. So the Joe Pesci films they're playing, <laughs> we have Goodfellas, <laughs> and we have the Family Enforcer. Uh, and actually, that's just it. But still, we'll call it a mini Pesci fest. Nice. Okay? nice. I like it. Uh, and that's December uh, 2018. Uh, we really, obviously, hope part of doing the show is because uh, we l- truly love this theater. We love that it plays 35 millimeter film. It's such a great chance to see some of these movies on a big screen. So we hope you attend. We, if you see any of us there, come say hi. Uh, we hope you enjoy this new format and this new show. Obviously, it's going to change uh, each time we do it. But we're really thankful you're here to launch this with us, Phil, and hope you'll come back a lot because uh, it's great to have you know some programmer insight into these things. Well, yes. I thank you so much for inviting me. We love having you, and 
We'll see you at the movies. Yeah, and Merry Christmas. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.